your Van Seas Weekly, the home for info and insight on the Vancouver Canadians and all Toronto Blue Jays minor league prospects. Hosted by Greg Ballack and Charlie Kasky. It's time for the Orvan Seas podcast. We're on episode 14. Greg Ballack here and joining me by car en route right now is Charlie Kasky. How you doing, Charlie? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sorry I can't be in studio. I'm late picking up my wife. She has a hair appointment. We all know how important that is. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to don't want to anger the wife over baseball. It's not a not a good plan. Well, exactly. Our podcast <laughs> might be limited going forward. <laughs> Well, you, we uh, have a pretty interesting episode today. We have Chris Mellon on, who is a, a scouting player development uh, guy at Baseball Prospectus, one of the writers, and he's also in charge of doing the Blue Jays' top 10 prospects list, which uh, sort of pertains to us, Charlie. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, um, you know, the Blue Jays have had such an exciting offseason, you kind of forget that this is also the uh, sort of prospect shoulder season when a lot of these lists come out. You know, Baseball America already, did they? No, they didn't release their uh, no. their top ten yet. Soundgraphs haven't yet, but BP dropped theirs on uh, on Friday, yesterday. So um, pretty exciting, you know. It's you know for guys like me and you, it's I, you know, this is this is almost like early Christmas for me. We're getting these lists out. Um, unfortunately, I haven't actually put mine together yet, which is I'd like to say out of being too busy, but part of it might be laziness as well. <laughs> Not um, with you, Charlie. No way. But these guys obviously have a. A pretty wide scope and yeah. ability to uh, to not only put eyes on on these players themselves, but you know they've, they've got they're quite connected through front offices and other scouts and are able to get you know numerous opinions on players. Which you know for me, you know we got to see how many of them four or five on the list we got to see this year, yeah. uh, which is fantastic. But you know having these guys do the you know these lists kind of uh, gives us that second opinion, which I which I value greatly. So we, we talked to him earlier today. You were in studio, actually, when we did the interview, so you're only going to be on the phone here for uh, yeah. <laughs> the intro and the and the outro, uh, fortunately. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good discussion with him, and it really goes into detail about a lot of the prospects, some of the guys we may not really know that much about. Uh, we talked a little about Jeff Hoffman, you know, a guy that no one really has seen because uh, his, his stint was so brief before you needed Tommy John. Um and and pretty much everyone we covered the whole list so it's uh, it's a good uh, good little breakdown. Yeah, like you say, it's um, guys like Jeff Hoffman and, and Sean Reed Foley. It, it's tough for us to have any sort of expert opinion on because nobody's really seen them. I know I know Sean Reed Foley did have some time in the GCL. Uh, Pentecost played a bit, but it's more of their amateur background that you know these rankings are going by. So you know, BP's extensive kind of, as we said, network with the cross-checkers and, and that sort of thing really helps out a lot. Um, I do want to say something. Uh, we didn't really discuss Anthony Alford all that much, did we? Um, which some people might be um, mm-hmm. disappointed with because he did come in the on-the-rise section of uh, their list. But, you know... But just, really because they haven't seen him much either. No one has, right? I just, I just <laughs> that they wouldn't have seen him all that much either. He hasn't had a lot of pro at-bats and you know, uh, being a Mississippi prep product, I'm sure they didn't see or, you know, didn't get a lot of information on him coming out of high school. So I think he's someone that's going to have a very interesting 2015, and I'm sure we'll be talking about him during the season and, and the next offseason. Now, the only unfortunate part with Chris Mellon is that he he's from Boston, and he's a Boston Bruins season ticket holder. So I, I take what you want from that. Yeah, um. so not, a, <laughs> not just a, uh, you know, an every now and then fan. He's, he's a... He 
he's there all the time. So, yeah, for the, <laughs> the old enemy. <laughs> so his baseball knowledge is, is top-notch, but his hockey knowledge could use some work, I think, uh, if he's a Bruins fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just joking with Chris Mellon, who we're going to get to. I guess we should probably just get to it right now. If you yeah. want to uh, pick it up, uh, it's, uh, yeah, Chris Mellon from Baseball Prospectus. It's our conversation from earlier about the top 10 prospects list that they just released about the Toronto Blue Jays. So we're joined by Chris Mellon of uh, BP's Prospect Staff. Obviously, it's uh, great timing for us. They, uh, they just dropped the, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays top 10 list yesterday. Was it, Chris? Yep, it was yesterday. Um, so... Ideal time to talk about it. Obviously, a lot going on. Um, I think I counted four Vancouver Canadians or spent part of the season with the Canadians this year on the list. Obviously, another one probably would have been on it, provided he wasn't traded. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, can you just give, before we start to the list, can you just give us a bit of a background on, on how it's put together? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of players here. I know from reading from reading BP, you guys had eyes on guys like, say, Sanchez and, and Norris quite a bit this year, but you know, guys out west that we get to see, you know, Labort, Castro, Torado, I'm guessing you guys can't really get eyes on them quite as much. So what's the process for you? Right, you know, you know, I have a, you know we have a team, you know, of prospect staff members you know, across the country. We don't have anybody in the northwest up there, but we have people up and down the east coast into Texas, Midwest, California, and um, they're all out at the field, you know, um, Going, you know, some guys go to four or five games a night, scout them out, and uh, they file reports or whatnot. So, during the season, you know, we all do our coverage and and put together all that seasonal content and whatnot. And then when we get to the off season, we start our um, top ten process. So, so for like a for putting together like a list like Toronto, you know, the team and I, you know, does I probably either put you know I'll either put out like a bunch of names that I'm looking for people to start talking about, and we go through some discussion and we start saying you know, yay or nay, or, or what do we think about this guy? What did we see over the course of the season? And and then, you know, also what did we, um, you know, talking to scouts and, and front office members, you know, that's what I, I go out and do once the kind of the initial framework of maybe the, the 10 to 15 guys that we're talking about um, for, the, for contention for the list, I'll start going out, I'll talk to my scout contacts, I'll talk to people in different front offices and whatnot and get a feel for the players. And then, you know, the final list is really, at the end of the day, it's really, you know, kind of the direction I want to see. You know, I, I feel like the best, you know, list should go. You know, sometimes you'll talk to either someone on my team or maybe a scout who, who was like, you know, Dalton Pompey should be your number one guy, right? And he ended up third on our list in this, for example. But those are opinions, you know, that, and, that, and that's what I do, try to get as many opinions and, and, and sourced information as possible so then I can look at that and say, okay, well, out of the seven – Scouts I talked to who saw, you know, Norris, Sanchez, and Pompey this year, um, their orders were X, Y, Z, and kind of looked at that, and then I have my own order, and I kind of say, okay, it lines up, I'm, I'm, I'm good going forward with it. Okay. Um, and, I mean, going, I'll let people, listeners, look at the list themselves, but, you know, just ballpark, there's a lot of pitching, which we knew the Jays are, are strong, you know, throughout the organization, both in the higher levels and lower. Um Positionally, we've got Don Pompey there. Where where do you think Barreto would have landed if he uh, if he was still a member of the the Jays? He would have been fifth. He was actually you know I had I had this list ready to go. I was I was almost done right when you know when the trade about a week ago happened. So um, he would have been in the fifth slot definitely. 
Okay, and I mean, a lot of the articles I've read about the trade, you know, I got to see Bredo a ton this year, and mm-hmm. I, I loved him, but, you know, I think there's a few red flags, not the least of which is, you know, he's 18. He's, he's a long way away. But, you know, every article you read about the trade is, is this guy the, the meat of the trade? Is this is what's going to make the trade for the A's? You know, the scouts and, and staff that you spoke to, what's the impression defensively for him? Um, that was the big question for me. I don't see him sticking at short, but what, what kind of feel did you get? Yeah, that, that's the feel overall, you know, that, that ultimately he's most likely not going to be a shortstop long term. That doesn't mean that he won't continue to play shortstop for the next, you know, maybe two, three seasons, even make the major leagues as a shortstop and then move off the position, you know, maybe in the early career. But the feel is that ultimately long-term, just kind of looking at his actions in the field, the way he moves, you know, a little bit with the body too, you know, that he's going to slow down a little bit as he gets from 18 to, say, 24, 25, that ultimately it was it could be more of a, a third base or over to second base or even out into the outfield. He's that type of athlete. I know that, you know, you've seen him a lot. You know, he, he's slick. He, he moves well. He just doesn't move naturally like the guys who stick at shortstop, you know, that you watch up at the, the higher levels or into the major leagues. Is there any early indication of, of where Oakland might want to put him? Is there any idea or do you, do you really think he's going to stick at shortstop for the next couple of years at least? I think they'll probably keep him at shortstop. Typically, organizations what they like to do is with the players. Um, even if a player doesn't, even if the organization like behind the scenes and, and their their call is this, this kid isn't a shortstop, but they think that playing there developmentally will continue to help his defensive skills overall. So that when they do move him to, let's say they move him over to third base, that he's been able to sharpen that those those quick steps and the and the range and whatnot. Or if when he goes over to second base, he has kind of a you know that that type of feel for the mm. for the right side of the infield. They, they like to keep them at the positions as long as possible to help developmentally, and then also it helps with the trade value as well, right? Because you know there's 30 organizations out there. There's a lot of scouts. There's a lot of people who watch these players. All it takes is for one person to really believe that he could stick there, and that might give him some more value down the line when mm. they, you know, they're all assets eventually. You know, they do move to help. They they help the ball club. You know, in different ways, whether it's being on the roster or being traded, and and you want to, you want to. Sometimes they do want to market players at, at at the positions to let them get as much looks as possible, so that potentially someone may believe that they could actually stick there. Yeah, it was interesting when you mentioned his body type. It was funny for me, you know, seeing him up close because you get young guys like that who, you know, generally they haven't developed yet. They're they're skinny or like Dawa Lugo last year had quite a bit of puppy fat. He hadn't really grown into his body yet. Whereas <laughs> Bredo at 18 looks like a man. You don't really think there's a lot of room physically to develop there. You know, I think some of the doubles he hit may turn into home runs, but I just get the feeling that what we're seeing now is is what we're going to get, you know. And I love the bat, but I don't see it sort of exploding physically as he as he grows into his body over the next few years. But I'll tell you, but it's interesting when you because he may though the strength may continue to come, yeah. even though his body doesn't like explode muscular. And I'll give you a I'll give you another player and as a, as an example, Mookie Betts up there with uh, with the Red Sox. I saw him like right after he signed professionally at his first fall instructs and. He had the type of body that now he was still a little bit skinny, but he had the type of body that were like, well, where's he going to put any muscle? Right. You know, his frame—he doesn't have a frame. He's kind of just 
five foot eight and, and he's smaller and you're looking at him and saying, okay, it doesn't look like he's going to like balloon up. I think he was like 165 pounds at that time. Now he's like 175 pounds or whatever. He didn't really blow up, but the strength blew up for him to the point where now you, you see him putting a, a huge charge into the ball and whatnot. So with Barreto, yeah, I don't think, I think the, the body is on the verge of being maxed out physically from going out, but that strength, he, he can develop that man strength. Yeah, that's it exactly. Is that. The man's strength, yeah. his, his forearms are going to get stronger. You know that mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and that's where you know, in talking to people and and whatnot, and seeing some and watching some video on him as well, I thought that um, definitely, like, if you could develop that strength and 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 continue to backspin the baseball, that's where you could see maybe that 15, 16, 17 home run potential. Right. Um, sticking positionally, how close, and speaking of kind of more natural fielding shortstops, how close was um, Richard Urena to the list or to the risers, you know, that sort of... He was, clo- he was close, you know, it, and it was a tough call to keep him, to keep him out of the riser list. To be honest, I, I would have said that he was probably the fourth guy there. If I could do four, I would have done four, but I thought just, you know, that's, a, that's an area where we like to, you know, Guys, we think that you know, guys. I think that can get into the top ten the next season, or just names I think should be on the radar. And he definitely, you know, I definitely was going to, tr- you know, was trying to get him in there. But between Alfred, Smorrell, and Smith, he just ended up being and Dwight Smith. He ended up just kind of being the odd man out. But I mean, he's a good-looking prospect um, defensively for sure. Everything that I've heard from um, from scouts and other contacts are that he's a shortstop all the way. You know, it's just it's the bat right now that that leaves a little. I don't want to say question mark. It's just that's where the gap is. To how well that bat can develop and and push once he gets into the upper levels. He has a little bit of an unorthodox swing style, and um, you know that that leaves a little bit of questions. Okay, how is it going to play against you know the really 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 good competition? You know, the the hard 95 miles an hour every night, the sharp breaking balls and whatnot. But he's a good looking kid, and and just because he didn't make the cut on this particular list or, or this, you know, at this point in time doesn't mean that we don't like him as a prospect. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting for him next year because with Barreto now gone, mm-hmm. there's sort of a gap in Lansing. I just assume that Urena would, you know, they would all move up linearly, uh, Lugo to Dunedin, Barreto to, to Lansing and Urena here. So it'll be curious to see if they, if they kind of make a leap of faith and give him a full season assignment next year. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. We'll have to see. I think the Blue Jays, as an organization, um, they're they're when I say select, they're selectively aggressive. I think if they think if they think the player can go off and handle it, they're they're not. They don't hold back with um, being aggressive with players. You know, they 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 showed that especially this season with a guy like Dalton Pompey going, you know, starting in high A and and, and flying up through double, triple, and up to the uh, the major league. So I, I think yeah, I think if they think that he can handle it. Maturity-wise, that's a, that's a big thing yeah. for a kid for a kid that age, eighteen, nineteen years old, right? Probably has never never failed at anything in his life. You know, he's been the man. Everybody's told him how good he is his whole life, and now he's gonna. He's in, it's a hard game, and um, some kids at that age just have a. You know, the the thing is, they have a really tough time with dealing with the failure and whatnot, and sometimes that can be crushing for a player and put them in a funk for you know for a whole season, and they kind of get, get stuck in neutral. So I think. That's one of the big aspects that they'll probably, you know, weigh in and whatnot. Is, is is this a guy who we believe when he hits a rough spell and everything like that, it's not, it's not going to be any big, big deal for him. It's going to roll off. It's going to roll off. And he's just going to continue to do what he needs to do. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to touch on this later, but since you've just been talking about that, we might as well we might as well talk about it now. Um, Alberto Torado, you guys had him at at three last year. He's he's 
at 10. Um, so he made yep. the list. Um, you know, we saw him here. When you when he's on, you absolutely love him, but the inconsistency. And, <laughs> and you know, when he was in Lansing, obviously he was poor, got sent down, and then he was shut down sort of midway through the season for a while due to shoulder fatigue. But I was kind of, there was whispers on the ground that it was more mental fatigue, yep. which kind of yep. speaks to, you know, exactly what you were just talking about. He failed in Lansing. Um, wasn't really thrown all that well down here, lost a job in the, in the starting rotation, was in the bullpen. And, you know, I guess it just kind of got to him. But, you know, near the end of the season, he picked things up a bit. And you, what what did you guys hear about it? I mean, his arm speed's incredible. His his fastball is plus from what I can see. And as I said, I'm not a, I'm not a scout. But what, what did you hear about him and, and what kept him in the list? Whereas someone like DJ Davis, who had a, a really poor season, is, is gone. And I'm, I'm assuming he wouldn't even, wasn't even on your radar this year. Right. Um, well, with Toronto, you know, exactly what you said. I heard those same kind of murmurs and whispers as well about, you know, when he was shut, you know, when he was shut down during the season. And, um, you know, with stuff last year, you know, that was when Jason Parks was was doing the list, you know, was the kind of the front man here. And yeah. um, myself and Nick were, were very, very involved with those lists. And, and we did it. We had a lot of... Um, input but that was jason's call to put him at three and i'm not you know throwing him under the bus i'm not saying, <laughs> saying or anything like that but that may have been just a little bit aggressive you know at that point in time so just so it might just be some of its market maybe some market correction you know the, the movement backwards but obviously with the command inconsistencies and some of the whispers on you know how he's handling the failure and whatnot that definitely would have moved him back regardless that i mean he, he definitely took I don't want to, he did I don't know if it's a step back or he just or if he was just stuck in neutral this season but he definitely didn't move forward but what what the like with him is, as you said I mean he's got a fast arm extremely fast arm he's loose he's you know he has an easy release the fastball has a lot a lot of life with it I think it I think it can be a plus plus fastball I mean he can dial it up right now 92 to 90 95 roughly you know about where he sits and and then he can reach back for a little bit more um, good feel for his changeup, and you know some feel for the slider. Not as good a feel right now for the slider as his changeup. He kind of saucers it a little bit and frisbees it and gets around it and drops his angle a little bit. But it's that feel for the it's that feel for the craft and that that arm speed and that looseness. And I really think and I was big on I wanted to make I wanted him in this top you know in that last spot in the top ten. Now he would have been I'll tell you he would have been an on the rise guy. If um, Sean Nolan wasn't traded, because I had Nolan in that tenth spot, so I would have considered mm-hmm. Toronto the eleventh-ish guy at okay. that point in time. But um, I just wanted—I think I believe in him. I, I just kind of think he's one of those guys that has a ton of potential, and he and he and he failed. And um, like you, like towards the end of the season, it, from the reports, he's he was locking in. It looks like it, lo- it sounded like, and there was some belief that he he's putting that behind him. And that he's going to, you know, have the potential to, to take some big, big steps forward next season. Charlie mentioned uh, DJ Davis's name there, and I, I kind of looped Davis in the the same as uh, AJ Jimenez, another guy that's just they've kind of kicked around the system for a while now. And is it, you know, Jimenez had a had a strong um, fall league this year, but is it just sort of the case of other people have come in and and surpassed them, and and they've kind of been stuck in neutral, both of those guys, or uh, is there is there an issue with those two prospects? Uh, with Davis, I mean, with DJ Davis, is it's I'm not a big believer in the bat being able to to round to a, a level that would be able to you know project him out as a regular right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of swing and miss in that bat. Yeah, um, 
he doesn't have the greatest of pitch recognition. Now, that is definitely something that develops with experience, but there seems to be an innate ability to recognize things quickly in my experience watching mm-hmm. prospects and whatnot. They're, you know, I've watched guys come in who look like you know, they can't hit a breaking ball, and then a few years later, two, three years later, when they get up into the upper levels, they're, they're, they're very good hitters against breaking balls. But there, there's, there's, a little, there's an ability there, you know, inherent ability otherwise that everybody who, who's in the league would be able to you know, recognize and see them. Mm-hmm. And so with Dave, he, just, he just doesn't see the it doesn't, he doesn't pick the ball up as quickly, and the swings get a lot of holes in it, and swings in, you know, he swings through a lot of pitches in the zone even when he's in favorable counts. So for that, to me, the, the, you know, the, the athleticism and the speed and the defense, sure, but, I mean, it comes down to hitting even the best defensive players overall. They, you still have to hit a certain minimum baseline to kind of be in there as a regular. A lot of times people will say, well, that glove's so valuable. Who cares if they're an automatic out at the bottom of the lineup? Well, that means then you got the pressure on eight other guys to go out and hit. And that shrinks your line, that shortens your lineup. And that means mm-hmm. and not all lineups are guaranteed to have eight other guys who can hit above an average level, right? There's a mm-hmm. balance between it all. So you have to be able to hit at a minimum baseline. And right now, I just didn't really see that that belief in the bat. Um, Jimenez, I've seen him quite a bit over the last couple of years. You know, he's he's got that injury prone or you know in, injury tag mm-hmm. with him. He's he's had quite a few injuries over the course of his of his career in the minors and another injury this year. He missed about a month. I like you know a couple couple of years ago watching him. I really liked him behind the plate. You know, he moves well. He throws pretty well, and um, he has some leadership qualities about him. Where if you watch him defensively and really sit in and zone in on him and scout him behind the plate. He, he commands the game. He kind of has a, he has a feel for when to go out to the pit, when the pitcher, when to go out and talk to the pitcher when it seems like maybe he's getting into a quick rough patch. He's commit, he commands around, you know, the diamond with um, the defense and whatnot. So I, I, I do like the glove, but the bat to me has always been a little, has, has been light. I, I'm not big on his hands. I don't think, you know, he has those explosive, lively hands that you typically see with major league caliber hitters he doesn't get above the ball well so when he when a fastball from the top of the you know from the top of the thighs up he tends to come up underneath and he really can't get his hands above to get a you know get a nice line drive or even lift the ball he sort of gets under it and pops it up or even you know swings through it and misses mm-hmm. it but as a as a backup type over the course of his career you know i think he could you know have have a have a decent career as a, as a backup, a guy who maybe kicks around a few different teams, um, rosters, you know, the, via either, you know, free agency or whatnot when, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to, I don't see him as a guy who will be signing any long-term contract, you know, but at the same time, he can provide some value in that, that backup catcher role where he, you know, maybe he, he plays 30, 35 games a year and you're really not worried, you know, once a week or whatever it is, and you're really not worried about, you know, a ton of offensive production out of that bat. Speaking of that, you, you know, you talk about the baseline hitting. You know, Dalton Pompey is obviously defensively he won the the Rollins Gold Glove last year when he was in Lansing, um, or the year before last. Um, what what do you guys see, and what I mean, you guys have laid eyes on him quite a bit, but talking to other people, where do you see his bat eventually playing? I mean, you know, by all intents and purposes, we're calling him the starting center fielder next year. Um, is it going to be, a, you know, at the baseline, or or can we project him to be a, a better than average hitter? I think he can be, you know, average-wise, like that. You know, a guy who could hit in the two seventies, yeah, potentially have a couple peak seasons in the two eighties. Um, you know, the left-handed swing. Um, 
he's got a little bit more um, quickness to his swing. Um, it's a little bit shorter to the ball, and um, he, he squares up line drives pretty well left-handed. And, and he can also, when he puts the ball on the ground, he gets out of the box pretty. You know, he gets out of the box real well, so he can put some pressure on the defense. Um, there's a little bit of lift in the swing, left-handed. It's not a ton, a ton of leverage. It's why you know I, I kind of see the power more maybe, you know, below average to fringe average type power. Maybe a guy who can be in the low. Um, Double digits of home runs, ten to twelve-ish. I, I do. I did have a few people who were a little bit more bullish on his power. You know, thought maybe he could he could peak out into the upper teens. But um, that that's what I that's what I saw, and that's what I that's what I have gone with. You know, I think he can be, you know, a pretty good offensive player up at the top of the lineup type at, at peak. You know, maybe if the bat doesn't really, you know, get the full the full on paper grades, it's more of a blow. Uh, below a uh, bottom of the order hitter, but I, you know, I don't think he's a, he's not. I don't think he projects out of the slouch with the bat. I think he can do some things. He can, you know, set the table. He can get on base. Um, he can uh, steal some bases, and he's going to play fantastic defense. I mean, the glove, easy plus glove. It may even peak out a little bit higher, but I had him. I have him as a, a, a short, easy six glove. Um, hunts the ball down, gap to gap. You know, that's that closing speed. That ability to adjust, even if he gets good reads, but even if he doesn't happen to get a good read, he's got that type of speed to adjust and close, and and still make the play. Um, the arm from center field, you know, from what I had saw on feedback and whatnot, not not a weapon. You know, it's not an arm that really would profile over in a corner. You know, in right field, it's not a right fielder's arm in center field, but enough of an arm that people are going to have to respect it, and they're not going to take advantage of it. Yeah. What do you make of that? That quick rise from from Pompey. He wasn't even on the the prospects on the rise list last year. He wasn't on the top ten either. Um, I know it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, um, one of our one of our guys uh, on my team, Jeff Moore, is down in Florida, and he saw him in the um, Florida State Week when he was down there to start the year. And then he was like, hey, you know, when we were talking, he was like, this, yeah, this, I like, I like him, right? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, okay. And then, you know, he was hitting pretty well, and then he got promoted up, and he immediately. He got promoted up to Manchester, and I'm up, I'm up out of Boston. So he called me up, and he's like, "You gotta, you know, let me know, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let me know what you see." So I went over. You know, I, I sat on Pompey quite a bit while he was in Manchester. And at first, because I guess because it, it was early in his promotion, he didn't really look that great at the plate, but you could see that it was there. And then, right towards the tail end, before he went at the AAA, I mean, he was just locked in, line drives everywhere, and he looked really, really comfortable. And then he hit AAA, and then he, and then he, then he didn't stop. You know, I kind of thought he would get. I didn't really think that once he got the triple a it would be so like he continued to go i thought maybe you know it level out for him a little bit the arms the arms are a lot better in my opinion from what i what i see from the um you know between the, the international league and the eastern league it just you know there's, there's a gap there in the arms and then there's even a bigger gap between double uh triple a and the majors mm-hmm. but i i just I, I can't i couldn't believe it i just you know <laughs> but when you see him it's a guy who as we talked about with toronto and some other players where maybe the failure gets in your head, this is a guy who was riding the wave of success and shows how it can go the other way, having positive results, you know, just being in that zone and, and continuing it to going and what that can do for a player's confidence level, especially a young player. They kind of get their, you know, they get into their head like, hey, I, I actually am good. I can do this <laughs> and I can do it well. And that just, that, I mean, that fuels, that, that's a big fuel, you know. It's a bit concerning, though, if he gets off to a poor start next year, as if, if he does come in as the starting center fielder. 
Uh, if this is the first time he's faced uh, any sort of uh, adversity in his quick rise to the majors, if uh, right, he's right. going to stick. That's always a that's always a worry. That you know, that's mm-hmm. always something. That's a risk. That what you don't you know. The worst case scenario is is that you give a young you know a young guy coming you know breaking out of camp the job, mm-hmm. and then after six eight weeks you got to demote him to Triple A. Like Jackie right? Bradley. Yeah, that's always the worst case <laughs> scenario with yeah. a young player. But I think that everything that I hear about Pompey kind of. You know, in terms of his, you know, feel for the game and kind of his, um, you know, approach to the game is, is that he can, he can, he can handle that type of stuff. I mean, he's borderline. I mean, he's got a cocky edge to him. You know what I mean? I don't want to say I won't. He's, he's borderline arrogant. It's not obnoxious, but he definitely carries himself in a way that you know that he believes in his talent and he believes that he he's going to be the best center fielder in the league. Well, we've been watching Brett Laurie for the last. Five years, so we know all about the cockiness that can come with some yeah, prospects. Yeah, it's, it's not quite as it's not obnoxious <laughs> like that, but you can you know there's there's a there's a level with any you know competitor and whatnot. You want them to have that edge to them. It's obviously you don't want someone going out there thinking they're no good and that they can't do it because mm-hmm. then they're not going to. So you know it's not loud obnoxiousness mm-hmm. like Lowry was, but it's it's you can see it. it's a swagger that he that he has on mm-hmm. that it, when he has on the field. I think, yeah, a lot of stuff I read this year is that in years past, you know, he, he used to beat himself up a lot mentally. You know, we, he took failure to the extreme and obviously had some problems with, you know, a couple of broken hands. Um, whereas this year, I, I don't know if he it was a sports psychologist he was speaking to, but it sounds like mentally he's in a much better place. He doesn't take yeah. things to extremes like he did before. So hopefully that and serves him well. And when I write these reports up, you know, sometimes you'll see, in either the strengths or the weaknesses of the scouting reports is, is um, you know, wh- how how they feel the game. You like I, needs work handling the ups and downs. You know, that's one. That's the that's the negative. Or or you know, in line with the, you know, knows how to handle the ups and downs of the game or the ebbs and flows. And and that's what I'm really talking about is being able to. Hey, I go over four. It's yeah, it it sucks, but it's no big deal. And if I go four for four. You know, um, that doesn't mean that I'm the next future Willie Mays out there in center field or whatever. It's just you know keeping that that straight and the narrow. This is what I'm this is what I'm out to do, and um, yeah, I care if I go over four, and it's great if I go four for four. But I understand the way the game works is that you're going to have stretches where I'm one for twenty, and and it's it's something that I just have to continue to work through, and I, and I can't get beat. You know, I can't get down in the dumps over it. Yeah. Um. Six and seven, um, two Vancouver Canadians this past season, Jairo Laborte and uh, Miguel Castro. You know, obviously Castro, he'd only just come over stateside last year, didn't have a ton of innings, so the fact that he covered three levels this year I found incredibly surprising, but I guess it, it just goes back a bit to what you were talking about earlier, just the Jays must have felt that mentally and, you know, that he could handle it. Um, but you've got him at seven, you know, probable, you know, late-inning bullpen sort of piece. I mean, his fastball is is huge. It just explodes out of his hand. From what we saw here, I I thought his his slider got a bit slurvy. You know, his arm action, he would get a bit lower in his slot. Um, yeah. Uh, his changeup, there was a huge separation between his fastball and his changeup. I I often had him at 12, 14 miles an hour difference. You know, but talking to scouts here, you know, most of them like you like Labort better. Just felt he was a bit more polished, but. You know what? What do you think the Jays saw in Castro to move him up, and and where can what can we see him doing this year? Well, and I, and I think that's a good summation by you. You know, definitely on on Castro. I think there's sep- there's there's good separation between the fastball and the changeup, but I don't think the changeup has you know that action 
to it that that points to it being a better than average pitch. I think I think I think the separation's great, but that changeup the changeup's more like almost looks like a you know from what I you know the feedback I get and, and talking to some you know scouts and whatnot is that it almost looks like a fastball he's just taking something off of right. as opposed that it's a you know diving fading changeup with 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 you know with the fade to the arm side and that nice drop to it, but. I mean that fastball. You know, I have it as a, as a potential double plus fastball, and that may even be, you know, short on it. It could it could even get you know push a little bit more. If, I mean, especially if he's working on those those um, short bursts out of the bullpen. You know, he may be able to touch up to the you know close to the triple. You know, touch up two triple digits. I mean, he can get up to ninety seven already. He is a guy who he has seen some increase in velocity over the last eighteen months or so. He he he's been growing into his. His body, his six foot five frame, and putting on some more strength and whatnot, and, I, and he wasn't as hard a thrower when they when they signed him as he is now. That's one thing. Sometimes they'll say that's kind of a flag. You know, the, the, the guys who have velocity jumps, you you wonder if you know that leads to injury or whatnot. And I'm not, you know, I, I I don't know either way. I'm not a medical specialist or whatnot, but it's always just something a note. Is that something that you know he's growing? He, I mean, you know, he's growing into his fastball and whatnot, but. For in terms of the season, I mean the the realistic. You know, I think, I think he's a real reliever long term, and that's a lot of the feedback that I got in putting the, you know his report together for this list. Um, the, he's a little bit jerky with his delivery and whatnot, but that doesn't mean that he can can't you know smooth it out. I mean, I think the potential up there as a mid rotational starter really lines up as well. This season, I think he'll he'll keep starting. We'll see, you know how how it looks. On paper, statistically for him, you know that command. I, I think the you know the fact that the the fastball's so lively, and he's got you know and he's and he's at least got break to his slider, and then that separation with the changeup. That the more inexperienced hitters are are more swinging, basically to protect themselves against the fastball, and then also kind of add his motion a little bit, right? Because they're gearing up for his fastball, and then they're getting out in front when he he throws the changeup or whatnot. But the good, you know, as he starts to see good hitters. It's going to put more pressure on his command, pro, you know, his command to be able to hit those good spots in the strike zone and not grab so much of the white. And, and the the feedback I got on the command was it's 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 around you know the below average level right now that he does throw meaty strikes. So I think that's something to watch for, especially if he's if he's bumped up against more you know okay. more advanced competition. If he does break out in the Florida State League. Um, speaking of that level, and, and you said you were in Boston, so I guess the Eastern League is is one of your sort of territories. Um, yeah, I I have a feeling. I mean, I could be dead wrong here that the Jays are going to be pretty aggressive with Asuna, and if not start him in New Hampshire, you know he'll get there soon this year. Um, you know, we we had Jason Parks on the show last year, and his biggest concern with him was after the TJ. You know, worried about his body type and his. You know whether whether he would have the strictest training regime. You know, by all accounts, he's been excellent. He's come back in the best shape of his life post surgery. Um, you know, the AFL went a bit. He was up and down. You, you know, the reports I was getting was his stuff was good, but he was just throwing it right down the can kind of thing, and and good hitters mm-hmm. were hitting it. Um, you know, where he's always been of an interest. Does he was the first great pitcher I saw here in Vancouver where I. I absolutely swooned over him you know I thought his his changeup was excellent he throws a bit of a split changeup I think you know if 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 he goes up to double a next year and 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 does well you know where where could we see him going so you know that, that's that's interesting um 
I thought it. You know, I I think he has. I think he definitely has a shot to get to to Double A at some point next season. I was kind of in in my head and thinking through him that he that you know they'd start him off in the um, Florida State League, basically because he's just coming back from the injury and he still needs some to build up some innings down there. But I, I think with with him, you know, that that changeup is is where I get the good reports to as well, and it's a nice pitch. It's got some good action and some dive to it, as opposed to, like we were talking about with Castro, where it's a little bit more of a deception-type pitch. Um, as soon as it's deception and action, where it kind of dives around the zone and well, and he, and, he, and he throws it from the same angle and with the same arm speed as his fastball. Um, the, the, you know, it's tough when, when they're coming off the Tommy John surgeries and, and, and when they're coming back. I mean, he only really got 20-ish innings this season, and then he basically went to the Arizona Fall League to make up innings just to get him innings, you know, under his belt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from everything that I heard, this stuff is is coming back. Not uh, a couple sources indicated that it wasn't quite where it was when they saw him previously, but it's returning. You know, that's a good sign. And then the body, I I got the same exact thing with him that. You know, he came back in excellent shape and that there was a testament to his work ethic and his desire to beat the injury, that he, he did everything possible to rehab from it properly and to come back in, in good shape, and that bodes well. Maybe that, you know, as we see him over the course of 2015, it's possible that those previous concerns about the body and whatnot are, are now alleviated because he's, he's showing that he, um, he has that, you know, at work ethic to stay in shape and, and keep going. So it'll be interesting because you do all that work to come back and, re, you know, rehab from that injury, mm-hmm. and, and you get in great shape. And, you know, then there's, there's, there's always work to do to stay in great shape. You know, once you get in good shape, you know, you can't stop. You have yeah. to constantly maintain that. That's, and that's where we'll look for, you know, does he, have, does, he, does he kind of slack back or whatnot because he doesn't have that goal or hurdle that he's looking to overcome, you know, he's going to have to realize that, you know, you know, I have to maintain it. I have to keep working out just because I'm in this great shape now. Doesn't mean that if I don't do anything, I'm going to stay in it. But you know, I think that 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 first, the way he came back is a good sign that he can, you know, be focused and motivated, and we'll we'll get into, we'll see into his character and, and 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 whatnot, you know, to see how how it stays over the course of, you know, the season. You know, hopefully. We, we see him in spring training, and he hasn't like he hasn't regressed a little bit. You know, he's still kind of in that really good shape, even better shape than he was before. Well, there's another guy on the list. Uh, you have him pretty high, uh, and he and he's another Tommy John guy, uh, Jeff Hoffman. And, and you know, Blue Jays fans are licking their chops over the the steal, so called, that they got him in the draft. Uh, should should we sort of cap our expectations of what to expect? You know, it's so hard to predict how a guy's gonna come back from Tommy John surgery, but uh, safe to say that if he didn't have the Tommy John surgery, he would have been even higher on the list, and four is is high enough in itself. Yeah, well, you know, if he didn't have the Tommy John surgery, um, Toronto never would have got him. That's right. Yeah, you said that <laughs> in the <laughs> report. And I, and I had mentioned, I, I actually mentioned that in my right, right, right off the bat, that, yeah. you know, this is a guy who could, if he was healthy, he'd be pushing for the top spot in the system, most, you know, somewhere oh. in that one, two, Range, you know, he definitely in the conversation. I mean, he definitely gets support to be the, the top prospect in the system, but he wouldn't even be he wouldn't be in the system. I mean, there was talk that he was going to be the number one, you know, go yeah. as high as number one overall in the draft before the injury. So, I think in talking to my to my guys who see the amateurs, and then in talking to scouts and whatnot, 
um, who, you know, on the amateur side, because this is, this is, you know, as we talked about the process and, and when I'm putting together this list, obviously being not, with no pro experience now, you know, I'm going out and talking to the amateur scouts, I'm talking to cross-checkers, I'm talking to, you know, amateur scouting directors, directors to get input and feedback on, on these players, as well as the um, amateur scouting that we do at BP. We have, a, we have some, some very excellent coverage, and then we, we partner up with Perfect Game USA. But mm-hmm. in all that talk and all that research and, 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 and really diving into this player, I mean, it was, it was very, you know, very um, high marks for his stuff and um, a lot of comp, you know, a lot of people signing up there that he could potentially be a, a, a front-of-the-rotation type arm. As he, mm-hmm. You know, that's where the stuff was and, and the, kind of where he was trending before the injury. Um, so that you know, that's why in his, his kind of his role, I re- I reflected the potential of a of a number two starter, and then realistically, I kind of reflected him. I, I realistically reflected him as a uh, a three four starter overall because of that. The fact that we're not really going to know what his stuff looks like against professional hitters for all of 2015. It's going to be about coming back from Tommy John, ramping yeah. back up, you know, getting back, getting the strength. And getting on the mound and getting some innings and whatnot, and it won't really be till 2016 that we we see how his stuff is evolving and shaping up against professional hitters. Now he wasn't he wasn't perfect coming right out of out of college. He had he had some needs to work on before you know before the injury. His command could be loose at times. He you know his his fastball you know he would kind of get. Um, Challenge happy with his fastball and want to elevate it a lot and, and, and above the belt and around there and we know that good professional hitters can can take advantage of that um, and, and he's kind of a lanky guy at six foot four and he, he falls in, he he would fall into ruts where he, he wasn't quite consistent finishing finishing his delivery and whatnot and um, the other kind of thing is you know that his fastball doesn't really have that great great movement to it it's got a little bit of movement but it can play on the flat side those were kind of the three kind of pieces of feedback mm-hmm. that I got that mm-hmm. you know that those are the things to watch with him but a, but a very excellent prospect as you as you can tell you know reflecting him as fourth overall in the system right off the bat where from probably most of 2015 he's going to be rehabbing from Tommy John but it's a sign up of the belief and the talent and the stuff and that when he you know when he comes back that it, it can be pretty big down the line yeah, it was a it was a interesting. I mean, a, we thought here a fantastic draft for the Jays because then you know number nine on your list is it? Mm-hmm. We got um we got Sean yeah. Reed Foley in the second round. There was a lot of talk, you know, chatter around the community of the draft that you know he was a first round talent that people were scared off by his commitment. But then the Jays went ahead and signed him at slot, <laughs> which kind of took everybody by surprise. You know, he was in the GCL. He he showed up in Vancouver for the playoffs, but we never got to see him. You know, I'm guessing Chris and and some other guys saw him down there. What what did they see of him? I mean, it sounds like it was a great. It was a bit of a steal at the draft for the Jays. Yeah, it it, it, it sounds. I mean, it, from everything that you know that I get and whatnot, it's a future. It's a it's a potential power arm profile. You know, with three potential power. You know, two potential power pitches in his fastball and a slider, and then some feel for his changeup. And uh, it can be a it can be a potential you know mid rotational type there with a with a with a nice mid 90s fastball and, and hard breaking slider. Now, presently, he's more low 90s. He sits with his fastball, but there's some belief there that as he gets into the professional regimen and he gets into the structure, and um, 
you know, he, he, he gets, you know, stronger and whatnot that he can, he can add a little bit to his fastball. He can touch up the 95 and, and the kind of the feel with him is just looking at his, you know, the looseness that he throws with and, and whatnot. And trying to extrapolate with him is that the fastball can tick up a little bit over the course of the next couple of years. So if you guys did, had seen him throw in the playoffs and you would have seen him, you know, you would have seen a guy who was more, who's, who's like 91, 93 consistently, and then he, right. he, he can touch up to 95. But the, but that potential for the fastball to play up is there. The one the one thing that maybe scared some teams off that you know depending on who you talk to leading up to the draft and then after the you know afterwards and, and talking with the player maybe I you know and talking to a couple teams that that decided not to really go you know that they that he wasn't as high on on their board as he ended up being on Toronto's is that the there's some the you know with the mechanics it's not that they're um they're bad or whatnot but there's a little bit of effort in them and he's a little bit aggressive with his with his delivery and that that could scare some that can, that scared some people off and maybe thinking that you know down the line it's real maybe more of a relief profile or whatnot but I think he's a player that given Toronto's history with players and whatnot that he can come in and I think they're going to end up tinkering a little bit with this pace of his delivery. You know, from everything that I saw and talking and getting some feedback as well from some scouts is that he gets his, he gets his, I was watching him, he gets his arm in the slot well and he repeats it. You know, he's repeating the delivery. It might not be the most conventional deliveries and there's some effort, but if they can get him to kind of get a little bit more consistent with his pace, not kind of speed up midway through his delivery and kind of seem like he's like, you know, kind of being, you know, aggressively trying to get it to home plate and just kind of, Get back a little bit more on his back leg, get his, get above his front leg with his arm, and then deliver the ball. You know, these are things that all they, you know, all teams work with on pitchers and whatnot. But you know, and me, me watching him with my scouting experience and whatnot, I thought that that was something that, you know, he, he definitely profiles as a starter. And I think that it's you know, more, you know, some minor tweaks just kind of with his pacing and whatnot. Speaking of mechanics, um, one guy that we got to see a bit of here last year, and who I was actually pleasantly surprised with, is um, is Matt Smorrell, who's on the rise on the list. Um, we had Mike Reeves on the show, who who caught over three different levels last year and, and caught small near the end of the year, and he was talking about he was saying he's got a freakishly long middle finger, so he gets <laughs> some natural cut on his fastball, which you know you could see. I mean, his, his command of it wasn't great. Which meant he had to go to his slider, you know, more than he probably should have. Because I thought his slider was a great pitch. Um, change, like what you were talking about with Castro earlier, just you know, his fastball, but slower. Um, how long? My question is, you know, is because he's such a big guy and he had the broken foot in in high school, so he missed a lot of time. You know, he's he's a bit clunky. He's a bit stiff on his front side. I mean, how long do you give a prospect to to figure that out, or or the J system to? to try and work through that before you say, you know what, it's just not going to happen for him. He's not athletic enough. You know, we're not going to be able to get him to the point where we could, we'll be truly happy with him. You know, it, I think it, it depends. It's case by case. But it, it seems like with the, you know, and, and it's, it's not a general, generality, but with the, with, the, with the bigger lefties, you know, six foot three, you know, and, and bigger, it takes them a little bit longer Especially if they're like long limbed and, and you know that 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 type of build or whatnot to kind of lock in a little bit. I remember I saw you know used to I, I started with Red Sox you know when I started doing prospects I was covering the Red Sox and I saw John Lester you know back when he was in Double A and and he was wild he was wild I mean he's six foot four and he was a little bit more lanky and lean back then before you know now at thirty 
30 years old when he's put on some good strength and everything. And he, he had trouble throwing strikes and commanding the ball and whatnot. And he was kind of all over the place and then all of a sudden kind of locked in for him. It just seems like those left-handed pitchers, it just takes him a little bit longer to kind of, if you watch with Smorl, he, he releases early with his fastball. He misses high arm side quite a bit because he's not, he's kind of releasing the ball early. He's not coming down and finishing with it and, right. and getting that good downward plane to it. And, it really dep- it depends on the player. I mean, it depends on you know if you think that he's got that type of work ethic to continue improving, and and, and he's dedicated to the you know to his craft. And then he's also maybe you know if does he have that mental ability to understand how to sequence through the sequence through it. Um, I mean, you give him as long as you know you, you think it's going to take um, with him. I think you know down the line. I think I think he's a, more of a bullpen guy. The first guy, the guy that always comes to my mind with him. And thinking about him as Andrew Miller, you know oh, okay. that 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 and you know that that type of Andrew Miller, you know starter, all you know long limb starter, kind of didn't work for him as a starter, and then you know he moves over into moves over into the bullpen, and you know now you you get you know you see the results that he had with the the Orioles, you know, and he just signed a big free agent contract mm-hmm. as well. That just kind of the guy that popped into my head and thinking about him, like Andrew Miller. Miller, you know, similar pitch, you know. Fastball slider, a little bit of a change up every now and again here and there, but just those two, you know, those two type of power pitches. But that's just, you know, the guy who pops into my head, and when I've been watching him, and then just listening to the feedback I've gotten from scouts and sources. But it, but like you say, it's funny. I mean, a couple of years ago, I, I think it was a Fangraphs article I was reading who had Dan Norris on, you know, not on the rise, the other way on the decline, and <laughs> and it's the same thing. I, I mean, how can you say that he's he's six four or whatever? He's left. They've they've tried to rework his mechanics totally. You cannot give up on a kid like that. And sure enough, look what he did this year. So I think it's got to be yeah. the same for Smorl and, and guys like Hiro Laborte, who, again, we saw a lot of this year. And, you know, the stuff's there. The stuff will play. It's just he, he gets out of his delivery a bit. But he's a big dude, and he throws hard. So, you know. It, yeah, it takes time. I mean, you got yeah. everybody marinating. You know, I think what it is, too, sometimes is, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, some of the, the, the fans or the readers or whatnot, the, you, you see guys who just, who blast up to the big league so quickly, right? And you see that, and then you think, you kind of, I don't want to say get spoiled or, or the, it changes the expectation, but then you're like, well, why can't, yeah. why doesn't everybody do that, right? And <laughs> you, you see, you know, you get the, the special players that are in the big leagues at, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old, and then, it, and then it's like a guy who's taking a little bit longer, suddenly he's no good anymore. But, I mean, it's it's perfectly natural for, for guys to make their debuts at, twenty, you know, 22 to 25 years old, right? That's kind of like the window right there, right? Yeah. So if it takes a guy like, if it takes a guy developmentally a little bit longer, I mean, it doesn't, you know, everybody's case by case. They're all different individuals. That's how that's how I look at it. That's how we do it at BPUE. I mean, we, we look at guys, you know, these are individual case studies and individual players with unique attributes and you know different skill sets and they're people to begin you know yeah. they're not robots out there just playing or whatnot it's people and there's a lot of different things that go on out off the field factors as well as on the field factors that you know go into all of this but you know it just it just takes time you know and and you know eventually you know because of the way he you know because of these you know laborte and small you know the fact that they have they have good stuff and they and and they're being, you know, they have a fallback that if it doesn't work as at, at starting, you know, they have the fallback to move to potentially to the bullpen. Yeah, is that, you know, not quite, you know, they didn't achieve their ceiling, and, and that maybe isn't what everybody expected of them, but, 
you know, it's not a disappointment either because, the, you know, the object here is to, to develop major league players and um, that they have out. You know, some other players that don't have, you know, the necessary, you know, that type of stuff or whatever like that, they're really, you know, fr- you know, more fringy guys. They don't have those outs. Yeah. You know, so these, you know, they have, that's why, you know, these are valued, valued prospects and whatnot is because they have the potential, you know, to provide major league value in some, you know, feeling capacity or, or in some capacity, you know. Well, I know he's not a pitcher, but you can even just look at the guy they just traded Barreto for, Josh Donaldson. How long did it take him to, to come in? It took a position change. It took a swing, a couple swing changes for him to even come close to cracking the roster. And obviously, the the Jays see him as a <laughs> a valuable asset now. He's a little bit older, and it took took longer. But you can't give up right. on a prospect at a, at a younger I age. I know he was more to what twenty five, twenty six when yeah. he established himself. Twenty six. I mean, you know, so it it, it happens. And, and it's, it's it's just the way it is. Like I, I think sometimes it's funny. I think sometimes with the the prospect coverage or, or whatnot, and is, is sometimes fans or, or sometimes the followers and they think that you know all like they're all going to be like hall you know potential hall of famers or, or mm-hmm. all stars or whatnot. So like it's like it's okay. You know I, I can even remember it too. Like you know thinking back through and everything like that. Like at first when I started doing this, it was like. Oh, then if this guy's, you know, he's not going to be anything anymore. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's okay. Like it does just because a guy comes up at 24 and and, it, and his career ends up being six years or seven years, and he's out of the league at, at 32 or whatever. You know, he put together a good seven-year career or whatever, and he was a number one, mm-hmm. you know, top prospect in a system. You know, a top five prospect in a system. That doesn't mean it's a disappointment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, I mean, that's, that's, that's that's the game, you know. Yeah, guys will just look at the bio and say, "Oh, he's twenty-five in in AAA, double A. Oh, he's an organi- organizational guy. He's nothing. Like, he's nothing to look at." And then he comes up, and it's like, "Oh, all of a sudden, he's your starting third baseman." <laughs> you yeah. can't uh, you can't just write him off on like DP that. Candidate and all, yeah. all. <laughs> well, it's the same as like say Kevin Pillar. You know, everybody threw a Reed Johnson comp on him. If if we get Reed Johnson out of him as a fourth yeah. outfielder this year, I'll take that in a heartbeat. You know. And and I think people, especially in the prospect community, you've always got the benefit of, of hindsight. You know, like Michael Walker was in the majors in, in his draft year, and, and the Blue Jays drafted DJ Davis, who is still, you know, in low A. So it's like, oh, why didn't they do this or why didn't they, you know. I'd, when you go back and read Walker's draft reports, it, they weren't that great. You know, something obviously clicked for him, didn't it? So. Yeah, um, the way the game is, you know, that's why why we love it there's so much yeah, so, that's why it's so fun yeah. what, one last prospect question before we talk about the 2011 Stanley Cup um, <laughs> um, Dwight Smith Jr I, I was I was a bit surprised that he's a prospect on the rise you know I, I spoke to he was here for a while and I, I talked to all the C's coaches about him and you know they said you know does things well no loud tool to speak of you know and then obviously this year they've they've they had him take some reps at second in the AFL um, which kind of, to me, seems like maybe they're going to try and make a bit of a Ben Zobrist out of him. Um, I'm guessing he'll be in New Hampshire next year, so you'll get to see him a bit. What What do you think? Is it just literally if he can keep hitting, he'll keep he'll keep rising? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's what it comes down to. I know, you know, defensively up the middle, he's not really, you know, a center. He's not really a center fielder. It's more like a, it's more of a corner profile. He can play center and a center and a pinch. It's not like he. You know he's hopeless there or anything like that, but he, you know, he could, you know, right out, right out the bat, he's got three position versatility in the outfield, and then yeah, they're working him over there at second base, you know, increasing his the overall defensive versatility. But he, he can, I mean, the hit tool 
you know, if he can continue to hit, he, and the hit tool gets gets, gets high marks. I've had a couple of scouts put as high as a six on it. Oh, okay, well, uh, sixty on his hit tool potential, or you know, potential hit tool. So if he, you know, if he can continue to hit it, it, it comes down to you know, like I said it before, with we're talking about the minimum baseline to hit. I mean, it's, it comes down to a guy. If you can hit, then you got you're gonna have a role as a major leaguer, right? They, you know, that's the guys who can hit. They they do and consistently hit do well, right? That that's the that's the game. That's the name of the game for position players. So. Yeah, the defense. I mean, they'll find him a spot if he continues to show that he can hit, right. and that's probably why they're starting to move him around and get some versatility out there. Is because you know he's got a nice swing. Um, it's not a. I mean, it's not it's not a power profile with a swing, but he makes a lot of contact. He can adjust in the zone. He sees the ball well. He picks it up quickly. So it was a guy that it was kind of. I, I had him. You know, a guy I have in there because I, I think that he's one of those guys who can sneak up on you. Right, and he's, and he's one of the, you know, down the line, he's in the big leagues and he's playing and he has a role and people are like, well, how come this guy was underrated no one talks about him, right? Well, he came out of nowhere, right? right. Never heard of him. Right? And, and it, sometimes we can look too much at the, the high ceilings and whatnot and that kind of balance out the portfolio. And I, you know, for me, and the feedback I got from um, Jeff Moore, who was down in the Florida State League, he saw a lot of them was and, and that, that there's some talent, there's some hitting talent there and then it's a guy that might, you know, once he gets up to the Eastern League and, and the International League, and you know, he gets seen a little bit more on the high-profile leagues, um, we'll, we'll start to draw some more buzz and potentially, uh, you know, potentially as a regular down the line. Then I lied about last question because second base. It reminded me we wanted to ask you quickly. I don't know Jack about Devin Travis. Um, <laughs> what what have you guys got on him? Um, uh, he's been a let's see, he's a former thirteenth round pick. For the Tigers, mm. and um, not really a heralded pick coming out, but he's consistently he's consistently hit since he's kind of signed, and then kind of continued to hit his way all the way up through the ranks now up to Triple um, A, and it looks like potentially he's in the mix for um, Toronto's yeah. second base job. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see how it goes in spring training. But he's been a guy who's kind of defied I don't want to say defied expectations, but or beat them. But he's just kind of. He's been able to hit and hit well. He did hit well in Double A, Triple uh, A. It tailed off a little bit. You know that that left some concerns that this might be the type of bat that once it gets against, you know, once he starts hitting against the real, real advanced competition, it kind of dries up on him. But he's got a hit tool that could play, you know, anywhere from average to better. So think of that as maybe you know a guy get a two sixty, you know, pop up maybe into two seventies or whatnot. Um, we'll see about the power. How well that's going to, you know, be able to develop and whatnot, but kind of like a like a, a second division regular type. That that's where, you know, kind of see this, kind of see the output. You know, a, a starter. You know, a, a probably not. You know, not a lead starter on a on a good team. You know, if, if, on a good team with a lot of the, you know some depth within the lineup and um, depth 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 at other positions. You know, he kind of fits in. But if you're talking about you know, not having a you know a deeper team or whatnot. You know, he's not really your guy. I think you know with Donaldson now over at third base and uh, bringing more elements of depth, depth to that lineup. Um, he's a guy who could you know, hit down the bottom of the order and kind of want to hide him, but you know, give him a shot there to see if he can win that job. Well, I saw about the Tigers possibly trying him out in center field as well. Was that a defensive view? Just wasn't performing at second base, or was it more of a need? I guess because Kinsler's there, they didn't really see a a chance for him to, to move up? More 
more of a need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. Uh, the defense at second base is, is okay. It's not. I mean, it doesn't profile as above average or anything like that, but adequate mm-hmm. enough that it's not. You know, it's kind of you know a little bit of a bland overall player <laughs> in terms of the profile, but someone who can be you know potentially a regular for for. For a few seasons, but like, like you said, in that lineup, you know, yeah. you, you can't bury Ryan Goins anymore because he lit flat out can't hit. Um, you know, if he can hit okay, then they can bury him. Yep. Um, now, as a your Twitter bio says that you're a Boston Bruins season ticket holder. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. Our greatest export, Marvel. greatest export to you then is obviously probably Milan Lucic. Who do you guys actually <laughs> like him out there? Uh. Because it was great you know, when he got like punched love, in the mush the other day, wasn't it? It's a love. It's a love hate with Lucic. I mean, well, the greatest export ever was Cam Neely, right? Coming out from well, yeah, going going back in time, yes, going that, way back. Yeah, so going was, way back. I mean, Neely growing up was my my favorite player. It was kind of uh, what was it? Neely for Peterson, and uh, we gave you guys a first rounder as well, didn't we? Yeah, that's the worst yeah, trade the in the history. Of what it was a. With Glenn Wesley or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it turned into Glenn Wesley. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean that was yeah, that was a bad trade. I don't know. What <laughs> I don't. And Peterson was coming off like a shoulder injury or something, and the Bruins knew it. it was yeah. like, it's back when you could do whatever you want. It was like the Wild West before all these like collusions <laughs> and rules they have nowadays in sports. But it was like Peterson was hurt and he was you know he had scored like a hundred. He was a hundred point scorer for more than a a few seasons, and then he just kind of tailed off the map. But Lucic, I, I like it's a love hate with Lucic around here. Um, you know, he drew those Cam Neely comparisons, which I think was unfair when he yeah. went, when he first when he was young because he could fight and he had some hands and you know he wasn't that great of a skater and he was from Vancouver, so everybody said, "Wow, this is going to be the next Cam Neely." Well, Cam Neely scored 50, 50, you know, fifty five goals for the Bruins. You know, he was like a four goal four year fifty goal scorer or whatever, fifty goals in thirty seven games that one season, and those expectations have just killed Lucic. I know he got up to about thirty goals and he's been in the mid twenties. But mm-hmm. he gets, you know, everybody loves when he's kind of throwing the body around and, and, and thumping guys. But in those games when he's not really there, then that's when the cat calls come out. And, you know, you hear on the radio or whatever that, you know, Lucic is a bomb. He's overpaid <laughs> and whatnot. So it's, a, it's definitely a love hate. But I like him. I mean, I, I, I like the way he goes out there and plays. And I think, again, I, I, like to, I like to ride him, too. He's the one guy, you know, he's the guy on the team that, you know, like if, he shoots one on wide, and I'm watching the game. I'm like, oh, Lucic, come on. You know, but if, like, David Krejci misses the net, I'm like, oh, that was a good attempt. Yeah. Good attempt, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny here. I mean, obviously, a lot of Vancouver fans, you know, he was he's from Vancouver. He was a Vancouver Giant. You know, why didn't the Canucks draft him? But like you said, he wasn't, in junior, he wasn't a scorer. He, he mm-hmm. fought a bit, but, you know, he was a third-line guy. He was a fourth-round pick. And the, and the Canucks, I think that year, due to some trades, didn't have picks in those rounds. So well, I think his skating was the biggest thing yeah. holding him back, yeah. at least in his yeah. draft year. Yeah. When he came up as a rookie, his skate you could you could see him. His skating wasn't yeah. that great. I mean, he's a better he's a better skater now because I I'll go over to the training camp, you know, the practices during training. But I'll watch, you know, it's, it's pretty close to me where they train, so uh-huh. I'll go over and watch here and there. And um, he's a definitely you know watching him skate. <laughs> he definitely is a much better skater now than he was. You know, three, four years ago, but it's it, it, it's an interesting, it's a weird guy. I mean, he may, he's making like six million dollars or whatever it is. 
It's the antics, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's the the nut grabs and all that. <laughs> well, the, and the the fake lifting of the cup to the Montreal Canadiens fans. I don't think that was the smartest idea because I think they've won a few Stanley Cups in their day. Yeah. But he's saying he's not coming back. He said he's never coming back to Vancouver yeah. again. Right after he got in that barroom fight or that yeah. that fight in the streets o- outside of the uh, whatever poutine shop or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> at four yeah. in the morning. Well, yeah, it's funny. I um I went to the 2008 World Junior Championships, and I'm sure you talking to enough Canadians, you know that we take the uh, the under 20s pretty seriously. Oh yeah. And it was in a uh, Pardubucci, Czech Republic. I was I was living in England at the time. Um, so I have a bit of a soft spot. Canada won three two in overtime against the Swedes, and I have a soft spot for every Canadian on that lineup. <laughs> you know, Steve Mason, PK Subban. I love all those guys, except for Brad Marchand. I hate that guy. Oh, uh, you don't like you don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, just, kind of, he's that guy that you know. Yeah. He's he's the guy that you love. You you hate him if he's not on your team, and you love him if he's on your team. Mm-hmm. But he gets yeah. he gets frustrating to me too because he takes a lot of offensive zone penalties mm-hmm. that are dumb. And it's like, come on, <laughs> like you know. And like now he's at a reputation where if the goal if he if he's around the net and the goalie falls down, it's goaltender interference. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like he's just got a reputation, and you know he, he's he's streaky too. I mean, he, yeah. he's not quite scoring at the clip that he has ever since the. Stanley Cup final run against the Blackhawks, where they lost to the Blackhawks. He had, he had a bad playoff there, and then he didn't really have a great season last year. And he's kind of been hit or miss this year. But he's you know he's one of the I, I like him. He's not my he's not my favorite player on the team, but you know I, I like what he brings to the lineup. Yeah, well, it's been a, it's been a tougher season for you guys. Losing Char obviously is a big blow. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, and Boychuk yeah, getting traded right at the Boychuk, start. Yeah. Um, I think it's been and a bit... has been out. Krejci's only played like 10 games. Yeah. I mean, he's the, he's the offensive glue on the team. You know, he yeah. moves the puck. <laughs> but we'll and see. We'll see. We're both goalies, so the, any team that has Tuka Rask on it has, uh, still has a chance to win, in my opinion. So. Yeah, he's yeah, a, yeah, a phenomenal <laughs> I'm actually, I'm a right winger. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> right winger and center. So well, you, I'm always you, trying to get you goalies. <laughs> you know? We're talking about two goalies here that always blame their wingers. So yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Why don't you come back no, and I back check, man? I'm always <laughs> coming back and helping you guys out. Oh, you I'm, more... uh, I'm always looking to pick on you to, you know, pick them up under the crossbar on you or whatnot. So nice. We need more guys like you in Vancouver. Where's, yeah. where's the back checkers here? No, they don't <laughs> exist on my team, at least, <laughs> or various teams I play for. Um, I had one more question for you, but it's blank, so we won't worry about it. We've kept you for a long time. Um, thanks very much for your time, Chris. It's much appreciated. Hey guys, anytime. All right, I, I, had a lot, I had a lot of fun. Fantastic. Um, we look forward to, uh, well, especially since, as I said, you know, you you'll you'll see a few guys on this list in New Hampshire this year. I'm I'm guessing Asuna, Dwight Smith. So we look forward to uh, updates throughout the season. Absolutely. Let's do it. Cool. Thanks, thanks a lot, Chris. Talk later. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. And there you have it, Chris Mellon of Baseball Prospectus, joining us here on the Orvan Seas podcast. Uh, great little breakdown. We we thank him for coming on. That was uh, excellent discussion. We got a little more in depth than we, we were expecting. I think Charlie. Yeah, but you know when you're talking about you know getting time with someone like him with the knowledge that he has, you know it's always going to run on longer than you think. And <laughs> I think next time we should definitely we should account for that. Yeah, if you want to follow him, we didn't really mention it in the interview, but if you want to follow him at Chris Mellon, uh, M E L L E N is how you spell his last name. I uh, definitely recommend following him. Uh, and, of course, subscribing to Baseball Prospectus. Um, they're, they're gracious enough to let us talk about the list, even though it is paywalled on their on their site. Uh, if you want to get to see it and read the entire breakdown on their website, uh, we recommend subscribing to Baseball Prospectus, as most baseball fans probably already knew about. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the content they have is, 
it's second and none. And, and like we mentioned at the end of the interview there, it's not just the top ten, but throughout the, the offseason into next season, they're going to have eyes on all these players, um, especially the ones like, you know, Chris will have his personal set of eyes on, on those in New Hampshire. Um, but all those younger pitchers are going to be up in Lansing and Florida State League where they've got guys. So, yeah, just to, just to keep tabs on, on what the prospects are doing. All right, so that wraps it up for us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Charlie's at Charlie Kasky. I'm at Greg Ballack ST. You can email us, yourvansees at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions for us. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, having another podcast, getting a, a few more done here. I'm going away on vacation, so there's going to be a, a few weeks where we're probably not going to have any content. But uh, uh, we do have one more podcast with, with you and Ross coming up, uh, Men Talk on Twitter of the Blue Jays Plus uh, podcast and bluejaysplus.com. Um, so we look forward to that. But uh, it'll be another hopefully quiet couple of weeks and then maybe come back after the winter meetings and, and, and wrap up what's, uh, what's going on. If the blue Jays do anything, Charlie. Yeah. Well, we've got hopefully a, a pretty cool guest lined up for about the winter meeting. So yeah, hopefully we can get that done when you get back and, uh, we won't be saying Merry Christmas just yet. <laughs> I'll be uh, going back to the motherland, going back to Ontario for uh, about a week. So yeah, unfortunately, you, no Jays. How, how cold is it back there, Greg? <laughs> uh, last I heard, actually, it wasn't too bad. It was warmer than here. It was eight degrees or something, but they did have a snowfall, so there's there's probably still snow on the ground. But, yeah, so uh, we had a little snowfall here in Vancouver, but uh, uh, <laughs> for, for our standards, I guess I've you could say. Snowfall. <laughs> well, thanks, Charlie, for for coming in. On you had to jet a little bit early, which is why you're on the phone now. But uh, appreciate having you in studio for these interviews too. Yeah, that was uh, that was great. I enjoyed talking to uh, to Chris, and um, can't wait to uh, to get it up. All right, thanks for listening. It's been the Your Van Seas podcast.